things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly. I'm coming at you from my New York studios. Obviously, it's thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. You know something? I have a confession to make. Nothing that will require the cops to come and arrest me or anything like that, but I think it's important to know that I'm a thief. I steal all the time. I steal successful habits. That's what I do. When I give speeches, I often tell people I'm brilliant because I know I'm not. I simply learn from those who are. They espouse their words of wisdom. I inhale, I grasp, and ultimately I learn how to manufacture that into doing whatever I need to utilize it for, for my own success. And, of course, to help others as best as I possibly can. Because if you ain't spreading the knowledge, then you're really, really a bad person because you're selfish. At the end of the day, I'm just saying all of that to say because I'm going to have a guest on today. And I want to make sure that I don't take any time away from this man. When I went to his program to speak to his team, I had the luxury and the pleasure of sitting down with him one-on-one for about an hour. And I still hold on to that conversation to this very day about the importance of not engaging in stagnancy, not standing still, not resting on laurels and smelling the roses so much that you pass by opportunities, you let opportunities pass by to smell additional fresh roses. The true ingredient to success is not being married to the moment of success you've captured but doing what it takes as it pertains to your due diligence, your perseverance, your tenacity to continue to succeed beyond that. This man is the one that taught me the difference or at least played a role in teaching me the difference between winning a championship and being a champion. His name is Nick Saban. He is the seven-time national champion in college football, a man I widely consider to be the greatest college football coach in history. And no, damn it, he ain't coming on to talk about Brandon Miller. He ain't the basketball coach at Alabama. He's the football coach. I'm not asking him about a dude that, 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 that may have given a gun to one of his teammates. Primarily because the University of Alabama don't want them talking about that. I kind of left that out until the last minute for dramatic purposes, of course. But nevertheless, I want to let y'all know Nick Saban is up next with your boy, Stephen A. 
Right here on No Mercy. Don't touch that dial. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? My next guest uh, has led the University of Alabama to six national championships. The Tide's 2020 national championship went over our state, made him the winningest coach in college football, surpassing his predecessor, the one and only Bear Bryant, for most coaching titles in college football history, with a total of seven, of course, including one at LSU. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, my buddy, the great Nick Saban, is here with me on No Mercy. What's up, coach? How you doing, man? How's everything? You're too kind. Everything is great. I appreciate you asking. Oh, please. It kind, kind doesn't begin to describe how, how I feel when it comes to you. I think that I'm talking to the greatest college football coach ever, and it's always an honor and a privilege to talk to you, sir. I will ask you by starting off this question because I like to, I, I always advertise my conversations, particularly in this day and age, being a straight shooter because that's the title of my book. And just people will give it to you straight and, and what have you. When we sit here right now today, coach, how are you feeling just about the state of college football as we know it as of right now? Just a general question. How are you feeling about things? Well, um, I, I think it's changed dramatically in the last mm-hmm. three years. Mm. I'm one that's always for the players, so I'm happy that the players sort of have the opportunity to uh, use their name, image, and likeness to make money for themselves, uh, I think Mm -hmm. that's great. But I also think that we've sort of created a culture where I always thought that you went to college to try to create value for your future Mm -hmm. in terms of doing well academically, being a good person, you know, trying to develop a career as a player. Um, So you're really trying to develop value for your future. And uh, I don't like the trend toward you know, how much money can I make while I'm in college? And then mm-hmm. how much of a distraction is that to your ability to stay focused on the things you need to do to create value for your future? And you throw transfer into that. Uh, and then you have people out there trying to get between the money and the player to get them to make a better deal someplace else. This college mm-hmm. football should not be paid for play. So mm-hmm. as, as happy as I am that the players have an opportunity to make some money by using their name, image, and likeness. I don't think it should be used to influence guys on where they go to school, so it shouldn't be used in recruiting. And it shouldn't become a play, pay-for-play you know, device that we, we use professionally as coaches mm-hmm. to get guys to come to our school or play for our team. Coach, who's the culprit in all of that? And I ask that question in all honesty because – You had some people on so many occasions in the past that looked at the money universities were generating, the sport itself was generating. They looked at the fact that you had an abundance of athletes. And on one hand, you could say, well, they are on a scholarship, so their education is being paid for. But with the exorbitant amount of money that has come into play over the last couple of decades or so, There have been many people who've lamented that's just not enough. That's just not enough. So it's a way for the system itself and for elder statesmen and coaches and beyond to get money. But the kids get shortchanged. What are your feelings 
towards people who use that as an explanation to justify NIL and beyond? Well, I, I, I think that, look, if we want to change the model of college football and follow the NFL model, what I would like to see, if that's the case, is that we pay the players. Everybody's got a part of their scholarship that gives them so much money. Mm. Um, so, but now you're talking about making college student athletes employees. And that in and of itself may have some issues that would have to be resolved. So you're talking about a similar model to the NFL, where you've got to get some kind of legal right to be able to do this. And um, so, but I don't think a lot of people realize all that we do to try to enhance the success of the student athlete. Mm. And I think there's a figure, it's well over $200,000. If you break out how much money we spend in support of a player, I'm talking about in, in support of his personal development, whether it's mental conditioning for success peer intervention for behavioral issues so people have a chance not to vilify their brand in a way by making poor choices and decisions, mm-hmm. whether it's communication, uh, media training, leadership, uh, what we pay and, and, and academic support to try to assist players to be able to graduate, uh, which creates a significant amount of value, how we use career development programs to help them get opportunities when they leave. And then, you know, our players here have made $1.94 billion in the last wow. 15 years playing in the NFL. So, mm-hmm. but we created that value. They created that value through the work that they did and the things that they've done. So I, I think that it's a little bit unfair to be way over here. I do agree that there's a lot of money involved and players should have some opportunity to have the very best quality of life possible. Um, But, you know, a lot of people blame the NCAA for the situation that we're in. And I I don't really know that because there's been some legal changes from a a, a legal standpoint and and what's lawful and what isn't, that the NCAA has the same opportunity to enforce their own rules. The only thing that bothers me about this is when you use it in recruiting, you use it to recruit guys off your team. Uh, When people are trying to create a market, uh, which is free agency, but nobody has a contract. Mm. That makes it very difficult to manage your roster. And I do think there's an element that affects a guy's level of commitment to do the things he needs to do to create value for his future. So all those things need to be balanced. And um, I'm not sure I can tell you the best way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's people that are out there working on trying to do it. So in essence, you know, basically, you know, because when you just brought that up, I'm thinking agents. I'm thinking these players that are connected to representation and the representation want to act like college football is professional football. And that's the th- is it fair to ask the question, is that what you lament? Is that what bothers you most? The fact that somebody else, a professional representative, has now involved itself into the equation is obviously brought in by the players and their family, as opposed to you yourself and various other programs dealing with a player and their family directly or or their high school coach? Is it the fact that agents are now involved in the equation to some degree? No, I, I we encourage our players to have an agent. Okay. For, to represent them for marketing purposes so that they develop uh, opportunities, you know, for mm. them. 
My issue is we have a collective where we raise money as an institution to create these things where basically we're paying the guy to play. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I, I want our guys to have an agent. You know, I want mm-hmm. Bryce Young to go to CAA and have an agent, get representation, do Dr. Pepper commercials. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> all for that. That's what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be. Right. It wasn't supposed to be me going to give a speech to raise money from alumni so we could get enough money in our collective so we could pay players. That's wow. not what it was supposed to be. Now, who's to blame for that? Coaches. We do. Mm. Why? Why are coaches to blame? Because people did that. I'm talking about institutions did that to try to create an advantage. Mm. And I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it relative to a rule or a law or whatever, because every state has a different law. So it's not the same for everyone. Mm. So, um, so now you get this, okay, you come to our school and you'll get this much. Mm. And my issue is agents, in the NFL are licensed, they're qualified, they're regulated by the NFL PA. Mm-hmm. None of that in college. You can have any guy on the street calling people, telling them they should do this or that, right. um, that really may or may not be qualified to be making those kind of decisions uh, mm. or be the best people to create a market for a player. Mm. Coach, you don't look it, sir, at all. But you're 71 years of age. And I think about that. I think about the fact that obviously you have one successful season after another, after another. And I know that a lot of people can be critical because, my goodness, if they're not winning a national championship, something's wrong. And I know that drives you crazy. But for me, damn it, I root for you. So anytime, anytime y'all ever win a national championship, I'm like, who messed up? Who messed up my man Rick, Nick Saban? What, what the hell happened? Because I know it wasn't him. That's how I think. That's just me. Alabama all day, every day, because it's you there, sir. But I asked this question because I'm thinking about college basketball and I saw Mike Krzyzewski walk away and I saw Roy Williams walk away. I saw a a, a Jay Wright for Villanova who's considerably younger than them. He walked away. There's speculation as to whether or not John Calipari and others will walk away. And that's just college basketball. College football obviously is bigger than that in a lot of people's minds and rightfully so. So I ask you this question. How long is Nick Saban for all of this? You've achieved so much. It's not like you need it. How long is Nick Saban for all of this? Well, you know, I love it. Um, mm. To speak to your 71 years of age, um, I just want to let you know that they don't make them like they used to. I got you. I got you. Everybody, everybody, can, everybody can look and feel as great as Nick Saban is. I, I, I got the point. But is, is that your way of saying you're not going anywhere anytime soon? Well, you know, I, I basically love what I do. I love the mm-hmm. relationships with the players. Uh, I love trying to build a team uh, with a group of people. Now, that's a lot of fun. And, and, mm-hmm. and I enjoy doing that. Um, I, I, I'm also very aware that. I don't want to ever ride the program down. In other words, there's going to come a time when my age and my circumstance, everybody's going to be able to tell somebody, well, he's not going to be be there. I mean, how long is he going to coach till he's 90? Mm -hmm. Um, And that will start to affect the program, maybe in an adverse way. I I don't want to get there. And I don't ever want to be in this position 
where I don't feel like I'm making a positive contribution to the program because I can still do the work at a at a quality level that is making a contribution to the success of the organization. So I'm not there yet, but all those things are factors that I would consider. Um, and whenever the time comes, it hadn't come yet. And mm-hmm. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. You know, uh, and, and one of the one of the best parts about talking to you and, and one of the reasons I wanted you on this on this podcast so desperately was because, you know, there's so many life lessons that you try to provide. I know you've given me some personally. I know that you've given it to an inordinate amount of players that have played under your stewardship throughout the decades. Uh, but looking at the times that we're living in. It's not just about NIL anymore. Obviously, that's the latest craze and it's the latest issue. But you're somebody, and I've often said this, if 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 I had a son and he wanted to play college football, I would want him to play for Nick Saban because my mentality is, is that you're going to learn a hell of a lot about life when you're playing for this man because he's going to be demanding and he's going to remind you that the world doesn't owe you anything. You've got to go and earn it. During with the times that we're living in, how concerned are you about not just your ability, but any of our abilities to reach the younger generation of players based on the things that are out there, the advent of social media and the craze that it has created, along with various other opportunities when you're young before you might be ready? The mentality of youth today compared to what it once was, the absence of rules and regulations to some degree in a lot of people's minds. How concerned do you find yourself about that in this day and age compared to the concerns that you had years ago? Well, I I think there is culturally a shift toward uh, I want it so I should have it sort of mentality uh, rather than, as you use the term, I have to earn it. Uh, which is sort of how we all grew up, um, sort of learning those lessons. But mm-hmm. I, I think that one thing athletics offers that is very significant that sometimes get overlooked is all these characteristics in life, whether it's good character, making choices and decisions, doing the right things when nobody else is around, having a self-discipline to not just do what you feel like doing, but choose to do the things you need to do to accomplish the goals that you have, have the the work ethic, the perseverance, the ability to overcome adversity, the pride in performance. All these things are things that when you have a guy that's a football player and he wants to be good, you can reinforce all those principles and values that are going to help him be more successful in his life when he applies it to something else. And we have an advantage because he, li- he likes it. He wants to do it. All right. So it offers us sort of an entree to be able to encourage these guys to develop the right habits. So it's going to help them be successful, not only in football, not only in school while they're here, but they use those same principles in their life. And it's going to help them be a better parent. It's going to help them be more successful in what whatever career occurs after football uh, for them. So um, and, and I think that's why athletics is more important than maybe it ever was. Mm-hmm. There are less things that offer young people an opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And interesting to put the interesting point that I think you make is that 
They want to do it. So whether it's for your program or for another program, essentially you found what they wanted. They want to be a part of it. And in order to achieve great things while being a part of what they want to be a part of, these are the rules and the stipulations and restrictions to some degree that comes with it. Is that the ingredient to success, sir, particularly when it comes to our youth really locating and discovering what it is that they want and then showing them the price that needs to be paid in order to achieve it? Yep. I. Like I had a meeting with all of our players. I've had two meetings with them since the season. Then in the second meeting, I asked, why did you come to Alabama? Guy looks at me and he tells me, I wanted to accomplish this. I want to do that. I want to graduate from school. I want to play in the league someday, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I say, the next question is, do you know what that entails? Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to have goals and aspirations, which definitely gives you a sense of purpose. But then how bad do you want to do it and how much are you willing to edit your behavior to create the passion you need to be able to have the discipline to execute it every day so that you can reach whatever your potential might be? So I'm trying to get them to develop sort of goals and aspirations for what they want to accomplish. And then I can always confront them and ask them, how is this behavior helping you do what you told me you wanted to do? Mm. So it makes them a little bit more responsible uh, to and accountable to understand and have a vision and insight into how are the things that I'm doing affecting my chances to accomplish the goals that I have. So uh, that's that's been the thing that probably has worked best for sort of working with these mm-hmm. young people in this day and age. How confident are you now compared to what level of confidence you possessed years ago that you at the age of 71, because everybody's not made to say, and Nick Saban is made a bit differently than most. How confident are you that you can deliver that message to the benefit of yourself, your program and those individuals compared to the Kirby Smarts, the Dabo Sweeney's, and various other college coaches that have had success on the collegiate level. I mean, considering how much experience you have, how long you've been around, most people uh, would say some guys are outdated. They ain't ain't saying that about you. Not yet. But you know that eventually it always comes back to that. Where are you on your personal confidence level when it comes to you competing against your contemporary, not just on a football field, but on affecting the lives of the young men you coach? I, I think better than ever because, um, you know, you mentioned some, some coaches who are very, very successful. I don't mm-hmm. think you can be successful if you can't do that. If you can't relate to the players, they don't sort of trust and respect the principles and values and the things that you promote to help them be successful. But I think that that part of it, the human behavior part of it that we talk about to try to inspire people to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And maybe they don't even know what it takes to do it, but you're trying to teach them. I, I think that gets better with age, not because you have more experience. Some guys don't have it in their DNA to do it. And and I, I don't think that's a disrespect to any person or coach. It just, it is what it is. And mm. sometimes you have to move on. And uh, But we've had 
pretty good response from our players, but that's how we recruit them here. I recruit guys like that. I, I talk to them about creating value for their future. That's what we, so there's only a certain kind of guy that comes here. So it's usually a pretty good fit for us. Hmm. When Nick Saban even comes close to, to, to making any kind of mistakes, it, it makes news. And when you brought up NIL and you brought up Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M and then ultimately the guy that you've been doing Aflac commercials with and you continue to do Aflac commercials with in, in primetime Deion Sanders, that made a lot of news. Over the years, you're teaching and you're educating guys about what they can do to avoid their mistakes. When that whole incident went down, that whole brouhaha was created because of your words. You ultimately apologized for singling anybody out and you articulated that you regretted that. But as you reflect on all of those things, what did you take away from that experience speaking on those particular issues uh, about them and about anybody for that matter, particularly in this day and age? Oh, I would say what I was, the point I was making is I was not saying that anybody was doing anything wrong. Okay. My question was, is this what we want college football to become? Mm-hmm. That's what it's become. So did mm-hmm. I not tell the truth? Um, I shouldn't have singled anybody out. I said that. But that's what it's mm-hmm. become. Now we have guys making all this money going to different schools. And um, maybe, maybe that's all good. I, I, I'm, if that's what we want college football to be, mm-hmm. um, then – the best teams are going to be the teams that have the most money to spend on. We don't have a salary cap, so it's not equal for everybody. It's not like the NFL. I would much rather see us adopt the NFL model than be where we are right now. And mm. pay the players, and they can become employees, which a lot of people in college are. That That's not the, the sort of what college football or amateur sports are supposed to be. But I would rather see that than to be where we are now, where no one has a contract. You can leave whenever you want. uh, And we we can actually create an institution that can pay you to play for our school. Mm. And um, I I asked the question then, and I'll ask you now, is that what we want college football to become? I don't think that's what we want college football to become because I think that's going to weed out a whole bunch of colleges throughout this nation. And we might have about 10 teams to look at and we have to ignore everybody else in the country. That's what I think that ultimately could materialize into. That's just my thinking. The other consequence of this is, you know, we have 21 sports here now. I don't think anybody looks at the big picture. And a lot of those sports are not revenue producing sports. Mm -hmm. The revenue producing sports actually create these opportunities for a lot of people to get an education and to have an opportunity to compete at the college level. And there's only so much money to go around. So if we're going to pay players, then there's going to be less maybe opportunities for people that play sports that don't create revenue. So I hope that never happens, but Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's unlimited resources to be able to do the things that, Maybe some people think we can do. And see, that's the amazing thing that I find about you, Coach. How in God's name is it 
that you're having such a good time doing it when you articulate these things that you articulate. And it's a reason to look at college sports, particularly college football, and say, hey, there's some grave concerns here. The life as we knew it, what helped get college football the way it is today could be severely compromised. And yet in the same breath of articulating all of that, you're talking about how much of a great time that you're having. <laughs> you're not looking to go anywhere anytime soon. How is that, Coach? You know, I look at all these things as challenges that, mm. okay, it, it's more important than ever before for us to show players that we can create more value for you in your future. Mm-hmm. So there's value and then there's money that you can make. I think both of those things are important. So can we strike a balance between those things that your quality of life is good as a player here, but you're also doing all the things you need to do to create value for your future. So, um, and I, I think that's a challenge and I look at it as a challenge. I don't get up every day upset that we may have to adapt and change the way we've done things. Because if you do things the way you've always done them, you're probably going to keep getting the same results. Might be good, might be bad, but you also have to be able to adapt your behavior to the mm-hmm. current circumstances that you're in, so you have a chance to be successful and you can compete. And yeah. that's that's a challenge to me, and I like the challenges. Well, that's uh, yeah. I mean, you always have, and that's one of the things you and I talked about as well. By the way, uh, for my audience out there, as it pertains to Brandon Miller and the Alabama basketball program, I didn't bring that up with Nick Saban, and I'm not bringing it up with Nick Saban because he works for the University of Alabama. It's a university issue and a basketball program issue, so get the hell over it. I'm not asking him about that. That is not his concern. But I will ask you about Bryce Young, sir, because you know what? I want to get into a couple of players that you've actually played for, that's actually played for you under your program. This kid is sensational. I met him on Super Bowl Sunday, Coach. I couldn't believe how small he was. I'm very concerned about it. I'm not concerned about his skill set. I'm concerned about him being able to withstand the punishment that NFL players ultimately have to endure. And primarily because I looked at another former player of yours, Tua Tungavaloa, who had three concussions at least this past season and whose career I think is potentially in jeopardy because of those concussions. Your thoughts first about Bryce Young and also about Tua Tungavaloa, two now former players. All right. I, I think history is the best indicator of what the future is going to bring. And Bryce is not ideal height um, that NFL folks would like to see for that particular position, quarterback. But I think Bryce has played extremely well. He has no history of being injury prone. Right. Because uh, the SEC, there's a lot of folks in the SEC that end up playing in the NFL. And mm-hmm. he plays against those guys every week. And he's never had a, a problem with injuries. And the only one that he had a problem with was self-inflicted because when he was throwing the ball away at the last minute, he's diving on the ground. He's already sacked. He should just go down. And now he mm-hmm. you know, pulls his shoulder up. So, but I, I don't think it, it's, it's an issue. I think you have to look at each individual player. This guy plays quarterback like a point guard in basketball. He's got mm-hmm. eyes and all over. He knows where everybody is. He can extend plays. He creates throwing lanes for himself, which is important for a guy his size. Uh, he can make all the throws. He's smart. Um, 
So he has a lot of the, the, the attributes from a psychological disposition standpoint that are necessary to excel at this position. Okay. We've all seen the 6'4", 225-pound guy that can throw it like a bazooka, but he can't make the choices and decisions. He can't distribute the ball. He can't throw it accurately. So who's, who's the better bet? Mm. I, that, I got you. I, I'm going on history, production, performance, and, you know, Bryce Young's done it about as well as anybody. He's, he's, he's something special. I just want him to get a little more girth. That's it. So he can withstand some of those hits. But he is something special. No question about that. What advice would you give Tua Tungavaloa right now if he came to you? Well, I love Tua. He, he's a great person. Um, you know, I love to tell the story. If you ask Tua, how you doing today? He's the only player I've ever coached that would say, great coach, thanks for asking. <laughs> this guy is... And and I hate it. Um, he struggled here a little bit with some injuries, a couple ankle injuries. Uh, you know, obviously the hip injury that he worked hard to overcome. So I hate it that he's having these issues and problems. Uh, I would trust in a medical staff um, to make the right choices and decisions for his safety, his future. Uh, I think those things are I'd love to see him continue to be able to play and have success, but mm-hmm. I don't want him to put himself at risk either. And you, is it fair to say you're very, you're very concerned about him too right now at this point in time, based on what you saw from an injury perspective this past season? Yeah, I, I think any time that you know, guys have start having multiple concussions, it, it's a mm-hmm. cause for concern. But again, I think that's got to be sort of how concerning is it is a medical question that needs to be answered by um, some people who are experts in that field. Coach, from a leadership perspective, if you had three tips that you can dole out there to the masses, aspiring leaders, what tips would you give them on how to be a better leader? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to be somebody that somebody can emulate. In other words, you need to be setting a good example. You need to be doing it right, whatever those principles and values are, mm-hmm. uh, that you're somebody that somebody else wants to be like. I think mm-hmm. the example that you set, first of all, is important. The second part of it to me is you have to care enough about other people to help them for their benefit, not your benefit. If you're helping them for your benefit, that's manipulation. You're going to help them for their benefit. So. You're serving them in a way. So I guess to put it in a nutshell, you not only you have to be accountable to do the things that you need to do or that's required of you to do to set a good example. So you have to take ownership and accountability for that. But then you have to have a willingness to take ownership for somebody else being able to do that. And Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of people who are willing to do that part. They'll do the first part, but they're not necessarily willing to do the second part uh, because, you know, I, I tell our players all the time, you know, you guys, some of you don't want to step out and be leaders, even though you have those qualities because you're so concerned about what everybody thinks of you that you don't want to ever tell anybody something they don't want to hear. So um, even though it may be for their, in their best interest and it may be for their benefit. So it takes a special kind of person to have enough 
sort of um, strength and conviction in terms of the confidence and who they are uh, to be able to do those things. Mm. Coach, before I let you get on out of here, just a couple of more questions. I know how fond you are of Kirby, and I've had the pleasure. I only met Kirby Smart one time. He was in Las Vegas when we were doing the show, first take from Las Vegas, and it was great, great talking to him. It was over a year or so ago, and obviously now they're back-to-back national champions. On one hand, this is a guy that was under your stable for years, uh, doing a phenomenal job for you, uh, but now he's the competition not just in the country, but in the same division as well, both in the SEC, of course, and he's back-to-back national champions. What do you say to people that would ask, how does Nick Saban feel about that? Because you're still coaching. You're still coaching at a very high level. Right. But a protege, a guy that worked under you, is the reigning two-time national champion. What do you say? Well, I, I think he's done a fantastic job. And, um, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Uh, he's a hard worker. Uh, he's got lots of pride in performance. He's a good teacher. He develops good relationships. He's smart. They have good schemes on offense and defense. He's got a lot of players that are being successful. And that's the same type of things that we're trying to do here. Um, So I'm not envious in any way. I'm happy for him. Uh, It makes me proud that somebody that worked for 10 or 11 years for me has done extremely well. And um, But at the same time, I'm more focused on controlling the things that we can control to try to help our organization, you know, be um, as competitive as possible and put ourselves in a position where we get into playoffs and we have a chance to play for those games. And the fact that we didn't do it last year, we lost two games on the last play of the game. And I think we lost those games, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the errors and mistakes that we made. And I take responsibility for that. but. That was our issue. We didn't finish a couple games that we needed to finish. So um, that's what we're focused on. How can we get those things fixed so we can grow and develop and have one of those teams that are competitive enough to be in the playoffs and have a chance to win a championship? My last question to you would be this. One could easily look at you with seven national titles um, and in my mind, unquestionably, the greatest college football coach in history and say, you've won enough. I sincerely doubt Nick Saban feels he's won enough. But because of all the other things that you care about, how conscientious you are about young men, about leading young men, about the state of of affairs in the world of college athletics and beyond, it's safe to say that winning championships isn't the only thing that you care about. So what defines success for Nick Saban? at this point in time in his life? I think it's consistency and performance. I think that's what defines success. But our focus is on being a champion. There's a difference in being a champion than winning a championship. You win a championship because you have a team full of champions. So I'm a very process-oriented person. So we're trying to get the players to develop the characteristics that not only help them be champions as football players, but they're champions as people. They create the right habits that are going to help them be successful, but that helps them be successful in football too. Uh, Just like you can't be successful if you don't have self-discipline. 
you don't just develop self-discipline on the field. You develop self-discipline when you get up in the morning and decide if you want to go to class right, and do what you're supposed to do or not do things that you're not supposed to do. So um, all those things to me are what we're always focused on trying to develop. So um, having a team full of champions, that's the goal. Uh, if we can do that, we probably have a chance to have a pretty good team. Yeah. One of the things on my bucket list, coach, is that I'm going to come to one of those games and I'm going I'm to be I'm going to be on the sideline somewhere, somewhere for Alabama football watching. I mean, it's one of the things on my bucket list for one of them big time SEC games. I'm going to pull it off, sir. Well, um, but until then, well, you know, I'll see you soon. You know, you know, if you do that. Yes. You'd be on full scholarship. <laughs> I'm, I'll remember that, coach. I'll, I'll remember that. I don't know if I'm going to give you a headset like you got on. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I remember that. Coach, man, I miss you, man. It's always good talking to you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And you know I'm always here. Anytime you need me, I'm happy to come down, talk to the kids or anything like that. You know that, man. I really, really appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you so much. You've done a great job. I've been a great friend, and I appreciate that more than you know. So thank you. Feelings mutual. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Thanks again to the great Nick Saban, the seven-time national champion, the man that has not won a national championship in the last two years because Kirby Smart, his former subordinate at Alabama, has now won a national championship at the University of Georgia. But it is amazing. Nick Saban's 71 years old. Y'all heard him say it yourself on camera. Everybody ain't made the same, Stephen A. Because I said, how much time you got left when you walking away from all of this? NILs, recruiting, college football, being agents infiltrating the proceedings. All of this other stuff, pay for play and everything else going on. The youth of today, particularly with this woke culture. I mean, you raise your voice, you might get fired in today's generation. That's how pathetic it is. But Nick Saban said, hey, everybody ain't made the same. I got a lot of time left. I love what I do, and I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. But in the midst of talking to him, he reminded us once again of what champions are made of. And that there's a difference between a champion and someone who wins a championship. That's what I held on to from this conversation because he talked about the leadership qualities and the leadership components that come with it. He talked about the trials and tribulations one must endure in order to capture a championship. He talked about how necessary it was and what you have to do to maintain greatness, not just achieve it in a moment. If you can't get something from a conversation like that, I don't know what to tell you. All I can say to you is that you're out of luck because I know I got a lot from it. And I'm incredibly grateful for his time as well. Got to talk to Kirby Smart down the road too. Got to talk to Dabo Sweeney. Got to talk to guys like that because they know a thing or two about it themselves. But I believe that I just finished talking to the greatest of all time. And his name is Nick Saban. Yeah, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. 
But you better know a thing or two about sports when you're talking to Nick Saban. Otherwise, you're wasting his time. And he don't like his time wasted. And I can relate to that, too. That's another thing he taught me. As a result, I won't waste any more of yours. Been a beautiful day. Beautiful podcast. I'm loving it. Hope you did, too. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace and love. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.